Uh, thank you, uh, CBS executives, for sitting down with us today. I know that you guys have a lot of Star Trek projects that you are currently working on between Discovery, Picard, uh, Lower Decks, and of course, Strange New Worlds. Uh, but we just thought we would take the time to just sort of uh, uh, pitch a few things, just in case you're interested. You know, no, you know, no big deal. If you're not, it's fine. We get it. You only have so much budget, you know, and everything like that. But please buy our shows. Hello, Miles. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, and I am I'm so pumped. I was just telling you before we started recording how exciting like this, this does like feel like a break for me. Like, I know I initially was going to say like, oh, let's do some, you know, crazy movie. But a little creative exercise like this, I think, really does feel like a good break in between doing something in a deep dive. And what better way? I think you had the perfect suggestion than to create our own Star Trek shows. Yeah, we're taking a little time off of our, which is one week off of our Forever Night watch through. But do not worry, we will be right back into to the city of Toronto <laughs> with, our, <laughs> with our vampire detective Nick Knight next week. Uh, but we just wanted to stretch our legs a little bit. It, our, our Power Rangers episodes were a lot of fun when we did those. And this is just a fun new extension to that. And just a chance to... I don't know. Stretch those creative nerdy. wings. Yeah, just just be be nerdy, nerd out. So we're gonna make a trek. Uh, and Miles yeah. and I have each come up with uh, with our own concepts. And uh, I I shared mine with Miles uh, as we were doing the creation of this, just you know, so he could get an idea of what I was going for. But he's got one queued up that he has not told me a single thing <laughs> about. And so Miles, well, I have to know what's your trek. All right. So again, before we before we get started, I do. This is a great time to be a, a Star Trek fan and whatever your opinions about specific shows are. I mean, we currently have several Star Trek shows on air with more going on. because We've got Discovery, Lower Decks, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Prodigy, and then the Section 31 show is still apparently all greenlit. That's six star trek shows i believe i read that there were 32 weeks of star trek this this year in 2020 in 2020 uh, because it's 2021 now but in 2020 there were between picard lower decks and discovery season three there were 32 weeks with a new trek show on the air that i mean has not happened since the tng ds9 voyager cross origination that happened and i think that's what i i think blows me away so much about this this era is because I, I, as much as people might gripe about CBS All Access or I think Netflix Worldwide, there is a centralized place that is a high profile place to watch Star Trek. So all those millions of Star Trek fans, they may not like it, but like, you know, like us, that $9.99 will get paid while Star Trek is on. And then they can just you know cut it off. And I mean, especially for I mean, look, full disclosure, I like the Kelvin Universe movies with um chris pine i know they're very polarizing amongst fans i'm not going to get into that but i mean outside of those three movies it's been very quiet for star trek fans in terms of new stuff and it's been five years at least since the last one of those movies yeah yeah 2016 
And, you know, I think that this this has also this this era, this new era has not just emboldened uh, older fans, but really inspired people to come to terms with their Star Trek fandom. In fact, I have a I have a I have a, a good buddy and a podcaster, uh, Todd A. Davis. He's a, a local comedian here in Greenville, South Carolina. He's actually was got inspired after he, he held a couple of um, uh, Picard like viewings back when it was starting and is doing a, a Star Trek podcast called uh, Computer Resume Podcast, where he is going to, along with weekly guests, watch all of Star Trek in chronological order. Miles, this which I, I am offended that this is the first time you have told me about this. Um, well, he told me about this in December, and it hasn't started yet. Okay, well. because I, I, because he was asking, uh, you know, if I would, you know, want to be on it sometime. I'm like, listen, both myself and my co-host Drew are massive Star Trek fans. You can, you can be sure that we would be on it. Uh, Last I heard from him, it's supposed to launch this January. I haven't got a specific date for it yet, but I did promise him uh, that when we started talking about Star Trek again, I would tell you all about it because we will likely both be on that show in the future. But this is not about other podcasts. This is about our our pitches. So I'm going to start with mine. When when Drew told me his, I got a little nervous because I'm like, oh, it's not not too far from... (laughs) <laughs> something I was doing in in terms of the kind of show I think it is. So my show is called Star Trek Echo. The year is 2398, years after recovering the fragile political recovering from the fragile political ramifications from the Dominion War, the Federation is once again ready to explore past the reaches of known space. Through the use of the Bajoran wormhole, Starfleet has commissioned a crew to further explore the systems within the Gamma Quadrant with the addendum to record the troubles and offer aid to worlds still struggling from the effects of the Dominion's grip. With a newly christened Echo, a Cheyenne-class starship, freshly promoted Captain Naomi Wildman and her crew must not only discover and make first contact with worlds unlike they have ever seen, but deal with the dangers lurking in parts of the galaxy birthed under tyrannical rule. That is the uh, elevator pitch for Star Trek Echo. Naomi Wildman, Captain Wildman. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Yes, I have. I had been told. I've, I have researched because I. I have have a very good friend who is a massive Voyager fan, and I talked about the possibility of using Naomi in in something when I was talking about this idea, and and he said there was some sort of apocryphal thing or a diary of Jane ways that was released or something where it mentions that she had become captain at some point, or maybe there was a novel. So I took that whether or not it's Canon don't know. And I, I was like, this would be fun to have, have at least one legacy character on the show, because I told, I told Drew that I wanted to do something that kind of is a nice little continuation slash end cap for the TNG era that I love and grew up with. And so for me, the use of the Bajoran wormhole would allow access to Deep Space Nine as kind of a port at various points in the show, which would allow uh, guests or future supporting characters to appear and, re- uh, and, and kind of leave. Um, for me, the first season would begin with uh, some wild planets and really test, like, I think the limits of what they've done in Star Trek. You know, we've seen a lot of humanoid aliens and some, you know, mind beings and stuff, but let's let's get really weird and 
this would also test the diplomatic and tactical medal of young Captain Wildman, because again, she is a recent captain. And, and, and both, she'd only be about 26 at this point. So she's a very, yeah, she'd be about, maybe the right. youngest captain in the history of Starfleet. Well, and see, I was going to have her as this project because as someone who kind of grew up <laughs> on the line and <laughs> was a student of seven of nine, I, I feel like she when she entered Starfleet, she would rise very, very quickly. And that is something that's going to be a benefit and a, a hindrance for her during this show. Like her. It's going to embolden her at first, but she's going to discover quickly that she needs to re- be uh, more reliant on tactical thinking and her crew than at first. She's going to be one of those characters who's a little bit more brash. And we haven't seen it. Well, with the asterisks of we'll see what happens in Star Trek Discovery, no spoilers. <laughs> we haven't seen a a brash young captain of this kind. We've seen a lot of older captains who, you know, while their medal is tested, they they've been around the block. And one of the story points that I wanted to start with in, in the first season, you know, you're going to have a first couple episodes, you know, encountering strange new worlds, doing these kind of episodes of the week. But at the midpoint, I want us to be re- reintroduced to the Jem'Hadar. And we'll explore exactly, you know, who they are now and how they're able to flourish post the fall of the Dominion. Because we're never really fully given a satisfying answer as to what happened to all the Jem'Hadar. So I would I would question the fall of the Dominion. Because they may have lost the war, but I'm not so sure that they did well, and that's a significant amount of power in the Delta or in the Gamma. That's Delta. part of it. Now, the stuff with Odo and the founders notwithstanding the dominion was an empire and so it's i'm glad you said that because they are going to be part of this ruthless syndicate that takes advantage of worlds that were extremely vulnerable after the dominion war and that will be kind of you'll have a midpoint store two-parter and then that will be resolved and then the last three episodes of the season will likely deal with that on a greater scale and that's kind of just kind of me just making a skeleton of an outline and as far as my characters, I've got, you know, Captain Naomi Wildman, who's the uh, half human, half Katarian, and uh, Counselor Daylin, who is a non-binary um, Elorian, who is often uh, has to temper the zeal of the young captain. An Elorian. So, uh, yeah. so, this, so here's some some Star Trek knowledge for you. The Elorians are the people that Guinan was a part of. They look basically human, but they can live a very, very, very long time. We're talking hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. We are aware of. So how old is your Elorian? My Elorian is going to be about 600 years old. And I wanted my first instinct was to create someone who was older and a little resistant to the captain in a more competitive nature like a first officer who resented the fact that this young upstart got a captain. But I feel like that isn't really the spirit of Star Trek shows. Yeah. Like, I know they did a couple things in Voyager with Bolana and her engineering position, but I didn't want that to be a consistent theme. And so I thought having uh, an Elorian as someone who is both kind of very even keeled and wise play as a good foil for such a young captain. I'm and sorry. then uh I'm sorry, did you name your ship? Yes, the Echo. Thank you, thank you. I yeah, I, I wanted to go with the the I the, the tradition of prior to um Picard naming shows after the ship. 
or the station, you know, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, Discovery. I I kind of like that tradition, and so I wanted to keep that. And I wanted to be able to use a ship that, while we have seen on screen once, we haven't really learned much about the Cheyenne-class starship, other than it was used for, you know, space exploration, deep space exploration, and it had, like, the, like four of those um, little little thingies on the back of it. Yeah, the, the day cells. The Cheyenne, yeah. yeah, the Cheyenne class is interesting. Was that a uh, um, first it was used design? I oh, think no, it, it was not. It was used in that one episode in the ship graveyard in TNG. It was it was used, well, it was used in that episode, and it was part of the uh, the best of both worlds ship graveyard after the Battle of Wolf 359. Uh, the Cheyenne yes. class is an interesting one. Never clearly seen on on screen, just only available in, like, what they did before they blew these things up for yeah and and starship manuals so i thought it'd be fun to use a a starship that we haven't seen before and i i thought you might appreciate that as a fan of starships uh to to play with a different one as opposed to like i I, when when you said cheyenne for some reason in my head i thought steam runner which is one of the first contact starships which is one of the the relatively new if you had to to think of that but no that's that's an interesting one. That's the most research I did was on the starships because I know you're such a starship guy <laughs> that I wanted to make sure I got a cool starship to when, use. When you dropped Cheyenne class, I was like, all right, I'm proud of you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> that was one that I, I really uh, I, wor- I worked hard on trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And um, as far as my my other crew, I have a uh, chief science officer, Chris. Um, and this is a new species. Um, I have them. I thought I wanted something that would be, I don't know, that would play with some of my interests and and having these kind of literal fish out of water characters. Uh, she is a member of a highly advanced underwater dwelling species from the planet Nabuo 2, which is in the, uh, the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, it would have been one of the few planets post-war that have reached out to the Federation slash Alpha Quadrant. She serves as a guide for what she knows of the Gamma Quadrant in addition to her science uh, responsibilities. And due to her species living primarily underwater, when we first meet her, she's kind of in this suit with a little helmet made to contain liquids similar to that of her planet Ape so that she can yeah. function. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was my, that was my direct, <laughs> that was my direct influence. Um, this will cause problems for her in adventures and put her in danger until they eventually create an apparatus to help her breathe without such a complicated outfit. Uh, I thought it'd be fun to add a aquatic species to the mix. We don't see too many of them. I think there was one that was introduced in TNG and it was a diplomatic mission because I think they were trying to get them to join the Federation. Uh, so th- I believe what you're talking about is, um, it starts with an A, doesn't it? Uh, yes. I, oh. So there are these fish-headed people that we meet. Because Troy is kind of a, a D-bag to him. She's like, the last time I saw something like that, it was on my plate. <laughs> uh, yes, but one of those one of those creatures, if it's the one that I, uh, I uh, uh, am thinking of, <laughs> they were actually played on screen by Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac, who <laughs> was in... <laughs> the fish head 
which is such a is, weird random thing to to even be aware of um that is awesome the, there, uh, is, the there only... is there is a a actually a a center for mammalian studies supposedly somewhere on the enterprise d that featured uh uh, uh mammalian and aquatic like basically it was just it was only ever shown on the big like diagram and never mentioned on screen or anything like that See, that's, that's that's the bummer it, 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 it implied that there were like dolphin people that lived on the enterprise d and it's like but again this is something that i think would be really cool because assuming that you have a a, a crew member who's uh aquatic uh, who is aquatic they have the force fields that you can just walk through I mean, you you've seen that every time. So they they'll do, have like basically like an aquarium as yeah. their their room. Yeah, every, exactly. Every time you see a shuttle bay, they just like the shuttles zip up and flip through the little like pass through shuttle bay into mm -hmm. space. That same technology could be used to hold a bunch of water in somebody's crew quarters. That is exactly what I was thinking. So I wanted to have a not just a mixed alien crew, but I I also didn't want to do something that we had seen before. Um, I and I wanted to use uh, Noyomi Wildman because it was a, a legacy character. Plus, I'm a I'm a big fan of Voyager. I know you're not as hot on Voyager, but I, I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. And one of the disappointing things about it is it was a lot of been there, done that in terms of their cast. And not that not that most of those cast members weren't good. In fact, uh, the other legacy character I was going to have was the Doctor as the <laughs> the uh emh because one uh Robert ricardo is great he could still easily be the doctor and just love having him and i think you know you'd have some scenes where uh captain wildman at least has some some familiar face that she can deal with and you know one that she doesn't have to worry about having um you know that she has to captain, really. Yeah. The only other uh, officer I have is a an homage to my two good friends, the the lone human I have right now, First Officer Tyler Burris. <laughs> for he's, for you and our our friend Tyler, he's extreme, um, he's extremely handsome, the best Starfleet's ever produced. <laughs> But I, I wanted I definitely wanted some humans on the, the group, but I, I didn't want them to be. That's one thing I liked about Discovery, having a Kelpian as the captain in season three was I, I wanted there to be a shakeup. A lot of times we see the humans in a a position of control. And even though Naomi's half human, she's also not human. You know. Which is, I mean, and, and part of that is, and, and this is something that I think Discovery is being successful with, they have a suitable makeup budget to have more than one token alien crew member. <laughs> because prior to that, you know, you got Spock on, on the original series that was just pointed ears. You 20 know, years. You have Worf on Next Generation and then later on DS9. DS9, you have a little bit more variety just because there are so many Bajorans that show up in that show. Plus but, you got the Ferengi and... You got the Ferengi, but, but that's not a Starfleet crew. Voyager, you had one Vulcan, one half Klingon, and whatever Neelix is. Uh, I know it's a Halaxian, but it's it's just it, it, it's it's interesting. Yeah. But 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 then you flash forward to Discovery, and they can have you know 
Linus, who is a uh, uh, um, uh, what is his species name? I can't remember. I can't remember either. Saurian? I could be butchering that, and that's going to destroy my Star Trek credentials forever. But you have him. You is, have... He, is he the one that I basically called a Morn or Discovery? There's there's one guy who just always pops up as like in the awkward situations. He does talk. That but... is, that is probably Linus. Linus is one of the science crew, and they give him lines from time to time, and he's very funny. Uh, yeah, and, and, uh, I, I love him. There was a uh, there were some hints that there was a romantic relationship between him and a very prominent member of the cast uh, on uh, in that they never talked about. It was just little funny inside jokes that I don't want to spoil season three of Discovery for you, so I'm not going to say. But uh, but they also have like a dude that's called Osnullus, who's like this big uh, nose guy. He's got a big no- like nose. Mm-hmm prosthetic thing with a big head and you've got iram who was like a human android cyborgy kind of person and all of these things that you just really couldn't afford to do and this is something that the kelvin movies actually do quite a bit as well and it's it would be good, yeah it would be good to see from a from a standpoint it, if lower decks hadn't done it i was gonna have an orion on my crew um and i <sighs> I didn't know how far we were carrying the fantasy aspect of this because in terms of Star Trek going forward, I would have loved to have, uh, at least as a recurring guest, Aaron Eisberg, Eisenberg as Nog, um, who is unfortunately no longer with us. Uh, because one, I love that character's arc. I think the actor is great. He He was one of those actors who was never, ever embarrassed to be a Star Trek alumni. And in fact, when he passed, he he and Sirach Lofton, his uh, played, often partner played, in crime, yeah, who played Jake Sisko on Deep Space Nine, started a podcast together, going through Star Trek and stuff. And I just, I really, I like the Frankie a lot. <laughs> so I, 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 I toyed with the idea of having someone like him, but I didn't know what how how far our fantasy aspect was going. Like, if I had pitched this as something that happened in 2005 or something, maybe <laughs> um, because I would have loved to have Nog on here, but that's, that's as far as I go with my crew. Right. I, I have so, my, so let, my captain. Let, let me, let me recap. Cause, cause I've got, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to mess up some of these and I'm sorry. We've just talked about so much. So you've got your captain. Uh, Naomi got my captain. You've got the greatest character in the history of Star Trek, your first officer. Uh, you've got, uh, I'm sorry, yes. your, was your, uh, uh, El Orion, was that the counselor you said? Yes. The counselor. Okay. Yes. And you've got science officer who is the, I haven't person. named the species, um, That's fine. for the aquatic race, Christ. So what is left? So you need you, the helmsman, you, maybe or you, hit, you hit some of the same, uh, you said some of the same things and some of the same gaps that I did. I had trouble <laughs> coming up with the chief engineer, a chief medical officer, uh, and, and some of these things I also left open so we could have a fun conversation about it. Right. I almost made the chief engineer Tyler Burris, but I, I thought as a tribute to my friends, I would make them first officer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I really, I'm, I'm kind of curious about, how, I, I wasn't sure how I wanted, I kind of didn't want them to be just a, a Riker-like, but I wanted them to be kind of the, the heart of the crew. Like they're they're the ones that really believe in the mission statement of the Federation. Not not unlike uh, the gentleman at, at the beginning and end of Star Trek Discovery. This is someone who 
truly believes in in the hopeful side of what the Federation represents, and that's what I want that character to be. I don't want them to be like a someone who's just going to you know be brash because they're the human character. I, I want them to be someone who's a little more reserved, but not not so much that they're you know a a a weaker character. But as far as my my engineer, uh, I've got I've already gotten some some new characters and in, in in Naomi and Chris because they're both non-humans. Uh L R are essentially humans. So I kind of wanted to do something else for maybe my chief medical officer and I was going to leave that one up to you in terms of like what 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 are your thoughts in in choosing a chief engineer so chief engineer is an interesting one and i struggle i i don't have a chief spoiler warning i don't have a chief engineer or a chief medical officer on my ship yet either but uh so i feel like you have to you want to do something that's new and fresh but you don't want to do but there are also some some old standbys that could be real fun like it's easy to have i agree it's easy to fall into a bones analog it's easy to fall into honestly a dr flox analog which dr flox the denobulan uh chief medical officer on the enterprise on enterprise man the show so nice they named it twice uh that was such a great fun character that i could easily see the medical hologram or a copy oh no i got it for you dude okay this yes remember that in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the doctor, uh, the, the, the medical hologram, uh, the, the, the holographic doctor was created by a Dr. Zimmerman, an mm-hmm. engineer in Starfleet, who shows mm-hmm. up to try to use Bashir as a medical hologram base for a new version of the medical hologram. <laughs> what if, <laughs> maybe not as the chief chief engineer but as a member of the engineering crew there isn't the the doctor the holographic doctor or dr zimmerman himself but a an engineering hologram that is being tested on the ship that looks just like him but is nothing like him which would be a very fun thing to play off with with i would be down with that um, I, I would absolutely be I, actually I really do like that idea where it's someone who is similar to or in, in a or ex- exact in appearance to what she's familiar with, but acts completely differently. And, you know, now that you mentioned that, I, I really do like that because I do want Captain Wildman to be completely out of her element. Um, I, I did make a note that. Since this takes place. Um, 18 years after what we've seen, uh, that Quay could appear as Brad Boimler at some point as a guest <laughs> <laughs> because it lines up with the time. And I, 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 I would, I would a hundred percent do that because he, you know, doesn't look dissimilar from his character and his acting. He honestly, I watched Rampage the other week, the 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 Rock movie based off the video game, and he he plays basically the same character in that one. He's basically that character <laughs> in The Boys. I would be okay watching is it, is it Jack Quaid. Yeah, is that Jack Quaid. Yeah, um, playing Brad Boimler, and and that's why I have them using the Bajoran wormhole, uh, not just to explore a quadrant we know very very little about, but 
being able to dock at D Space Nine allows you to maybe have an episode where they're they're on the promenade and you can see Quark and any living cast member that might still be around. Assuming that or, he's even still there. I mean, that's the thing. Like the the funny thing about shows like that is that you can't go home again. You know, that, that's the old the old statement. And it would be very interesting to see what Deep Space Nine is like in a post, twenty years later. Yeah, twenty years later. Has Bajor joined the Federation? Is is a mem- is a, is there a Bajoran member of the senior staff on the ship? Maybe. Oh yeah, Kira. Did you tell me that? Oh oh oh, the ship, not the station. I was like, I was like, did you did you did you include Kira on the ship? No, no, I'm not including Kira. She's she's busy. No, I mean that. I thought about using a Bajoran. I I did want a couple of of cast members that were decidedly not human and like you said and just like discovery does because you have the makeup budget to to do this i think it would benefit something that's supposed to be this kind of melting pot of the galaxy i i I really want this to to be that especially in a post deep space nine post dominion war world i want to see the federation kind of being what we we know and love about starfleet being that united planets aspect and and i think that's what's going to be so so fun to watch about this potential show as well as you're going to see that that naivety get them into a lot of trouble as it has with any traveling crew from from the enterprise to voyager to the other enterprise um I'm sorry. I I, tr- I I don't like speaking ill of Star Trek stuff, but I, I truly find Star Trek Enterprise difficult to get through. You know, it is until you get to a certain point and then they canceled the show. So, they, yes, <laughs> they, they, they solved that for you. Uh, so, um, so 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 what, what what are your thoughts? Are you are you are you into this idea? Is it not your not your bag? Like, what do you no, think? I'm, I'm into it. It's it's honestly it's the it's the kind of promise of what Deep Space Nine was going to be going out into right. this this quadrant of the galaxy that 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 we we have not seen i would actually be interested because wildman is born in the delta quadrant one of the right. only federation members to do that and that's something that you could really you know you could tap into that is she's never really like her home has li- like, and this is true of a lot of Starfleet kids that we have seen in in Star Trek shows in the past and movies in the past. But not only has her home always been on a starship, but her home is always like her her youth was spent on a starship that had no home of its own. Like it, it right? It was not and, a, and, it was it was not something they could go to a starbase and have some R and R. Like if they had R and R, they had to go to a holodeck or they had to find a planet that was willing to to put up with them that they'd never been to before. Which I think I think to me, uh, in the character that I'm writing, informs her desire to be captain of a ship like this because she feels most at home in the unknown. In, in discovering things because that is what she grew up in. And she grew up in some turbulent situations. And that's also going to inform a lot of the mistakes she initially makes in season one. Like I want, I want to see a captain that, you know, you, you do respect a little bit, you like, but is still extremely green. And over the course of the show becomes, you get to watch her become that kind of captain that is beloved as Janeway as Cisco as Picard as Kirk and Archer are like 
I, I want to see the evolution of that kind of character. I know they are doing something similar in Discovery, but I think it's drastically different than what the aim is to do with this show. Um, because I was a little worried that I was like, oh, this kind of sounds a little bit like Michael Burnham, but it's not really. <laughs> so I do have a question for you. Yeah. Why, why Echo? Um, Echo was, I, I did struggle over the name a lot because I wanted something that was, that you could say easily that was kind of cool and wasn't, you know, like an Akira class starship where I'm referencing an anime. Um, <laughs> but USS and, and Canada. <laughs> exactly. So I, I want, because there is an Akira class starship in, in Star Trek. I discovered that today. <laughs> the, Akira, um, the Akira class is what the Enterprise prequel show's ship design was based on. So, <laughs> right. So I, I I came up with or I came up with, but I decided on Echo because they are, you know, they are the voice echoing throughout the Gamma Quadrant of the Federation. They are the hope that is supposed to echo out there as they as they go further and further into the Gamma Quadrant. So I, I want something simple and because most Star Trek shows have a simple name, Voyager, Enterprise, Discovery. I. That's kind of why I settled. I wanted something simple, but I wanted something that that could be uh, poignant as a representation of what the ship is trying to accomplish. All right, Miles. Yeah, that's. I think you got something going here. I think. I I think I would like to leave it open to to some of our listeners, uh, people on Twitter, people on Facebook, people just emailing us. Let us know what you think throw in some suggestions i would love to hear them personally that's i'm not gonna lie doing this maybe you kind of want to delve into some fan fiction or something because i was like oh man i'm really getting into this idea oh Dude, man i really want to watch i was having this conversation with my wife when i was making dinner tonight and it's like i'm so excited about this because of this and this and this and then i realized in that moment it's like i am the the nerd who decides True. that their that their fan fiction idea is the best idea that has ever been happening in star trek and that's that's my full feeling about this. And I love True. my idea. I I know fully where I stand, but this is this is why I love you so much. I did the exact <laughs> same thing as we were cooking dinner and I recited the summary <laughs> to her. And and Krista said it. I mean, oh, this sounds really cool. I don't know what some of these specific things are, but the idea sounds awesome. <laughs> um and I I was just like, I I just this was a snowballing thing for me and i don't trust my not not my imagination but my ability to write great star trek episodes consistently mm. to make this an actual fan fiction like thing but i would i would <laughs> i would love to just keep outlining what's going to happen in star trek echo because i really started to fall in love with doing this <laughs> so yeah please please let me know what you thought about star trek echo if you loved it if you hated it if you have some ideas for other characters but uh, if you are a, if you are a CBS executive interested in this idea, I I am Miles's representative uh, in all discussions. You just email me. Yes, and and, and vice versa. Uh, We're a package deal. <laughs> so Drew, let's let's hear it. Let I, you and, and full discovery. You did tell me your idea, which is why I, I was having a little anxiety because I'm like, oh, there's some similar there threads, is, but I, there are some similarities in more ways than you can possibly know because I told you the the back of the dvd case i didn't tell you a number of other things about it that you have oh man i'm so had. excited but but <laughs> i will say before we get into it it's that and this this is not speaking uh ill 
honestly about anything that that Star Trek is doing currently. I I personally have been a big fan of Picard Discovery and obviously Lower Decks won our show of the year yes. for 2020. Um but there is a core thing about some older Star Trek shows in the era that Drew and I grew up in that I think we both want to recapture. Yes. And so Drew, let's without further ado, let's hit him with it. 2345. A year has passed since the tragic loss of the USS Enterprise NCC-1701C. The ship was destroyed defending a Klingon colony on Narendra III, and in the months since there has been a considerable change in the state of diplomacy between the Klingon Empire and the Federation. The Federation lobbied for a small group of Starfleet vessels to enter the formerly restricted territory of the Empire, potentially making first contact with many species in the process. The goal? To prove to the Klingons that Starfleet is made up of, above all else, explorers. Surprisingly, the Empire agreed. So now the task falls to Captain Danica Vasquez and the crew of the USS Frontier to seek out new life and new civilizations. Work towards long, turning longtime enemies of the Federation into friends and allies. To go out into the galaxy in the time-honored tradition of Starfleet. Curious, brave, clever, and bold. I humbly present Star Trek Boldly Go. Um, so, I... One, I, lo- I love the concept. I, I, I was... <laughs> I was a little jealous when you first told me because I was like, oh, man, we got we got, we got. but you you what you did was basically just not the opposite of me. But we both we both had the sim a similar idea in different points in Star Trek history. Yeah, and because I will point out the Klingon Empire is largely in the Beta Quadrant, as is the Romulan Empire. So you're going off into the Gamma Quadrant. I'm going into the Beta Quadrant. <laughs> yeah, and I I love I mean, I love the idea of this is post the destruction of the Enterprise C, uh, only seen in yesterday's Enterprise, right? Yes, it was it was featured in the episode yesterday's Enterprise, uh, and destroyed in the year twenty three forty four. And this is something that I do want to point out because I I did a lot of research on this. Because when you watch yesterday's Enterprise, you you see it as a much older ship or much older time because they're still wearing a variation on the the original series movie uniforms, the red like with the little flap Mm -hmm. that you can pull down. That show was in 2344. Captain Picard is already on the Stargazer at this point. He's already captaining the Stargazer. It is it is still we're still about 20 years before next generation but like 2344 is when this pops up wesley crusher is born in 2348 so that's that sort of gives you the time frame we're very close to it's weird we're like as close to uh tng as like discovery is to tos in a lot of ways which is a weird situation so what what was it about this timeline that inspired you to to make a whole show around it. So I I love the idea of the the things that we get referenced to in in shows that we don't know the full story of. And we know from watching yesterday's Enterprise and what that episode meant when the Enterprise if you haven't seen yesterday's Enterprise 
so the next generation is the Enterprise D. We're talking about the Enterprise C. The Enterprise C was responding to a Klingon distress call. The Romulans were attacking this colony. We find out through the course of that that there was a time-space phenomenon that pulled the Enterprise C out of that time frame and into what then becomes an alternate time frame. Because the C responding to that distress call for the Klingons was a big deal. Klingons and, and, and the Federation had been enemies for a hundred years while. at least yeah. <laughs> for, for a very long time. There had been wars. There was a, there was a neutral zone that you could not cross over into. You could not go into Klingon space. You would have been destroyed. It would have been a, a war crime. It would have started all sort of stuff. All of the stuff that we see more in the Romulans in next generation, all that applied to the Klingons before this, but the enterprise C showing up being destroyed at the hands of the Romulans in defense of this colony was a huge deal to the Klingons. And we learned this in this episode. And that is what causes the, the sort of ripple effect to where the Klingon empire and the Federation are allies by the time that we start next generation, just 20 years later. So that's where I want to see who, who made those steps, who, who made those, those moves, who, who made that piece. But at the same time, there's a lot of space in the Klingon Empire. There's a lot of, of species in the Klingon Empire that we don't know. There's a lot of planets. There's a lot of fun adventures to go on there. And I thought, well, what what would Starfleet want to do to prove to the Klingons that they are that they that they can be friends and allies? You don't send a warship into their territory. You send a peacemaking ship. You send an exploration ship to go out and and make nice with all of the, the different d- different members of the Empire. Well, not only that, but you get to see what the Klingon Empire ostensibly looks like. We've only ever seen, for the most part, just the Klingons. Yeah. We don't see a lot of the people who live under the Klingons and how the Klingon Empire operates. And and the more I think about it, the more this plays 100% into all of your interests. With a lot of the sociopolitical stuff that, that rolls around and all of the, 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 the tape that the, uh, that the, uh, the frontier is going to have to to go through, as well as, you know, there will, I, I imagine there will be situations where they don't like what they see, but they can't interfere. And that, that, those kind of situations are always super fascinating uh, moral tales in Star Trek, no matter what, what group. Uh, I think the frontier is a great name for a ship. It's, it's, it's classic, but it also it, it details what's happening. They are going into this frontier. They are a frontier ship. I, I, I'm, I'm into it. So tell me about your crew. Who, who is ta- who is well, uh, behind the, the, the wheel of the well, frontier? Before I get to the captain, because you, you talk about my ship and I got to talk about the frontier because. Oh, yeah. What, what, kind, what kind of ship speaking, is that? Speaking from, you know, speaking as a classic Star Trek fan and talking about things that we only see the the outside of or only see little hints of, and we don't really know. I, the, the USS Frontier is an Excelsior-class starship. Ooh! The bread and butter of Starfleet for more than 100 years. Uh, Excelsior-class is all over the place. It's, if you watch any, nearly every guest ship, a guest Federation ship on Next Generation that you meet is an Excelsior-class ship. And yet... Mm-hmm. We've never been on one. <laughs> we've 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 yeah. been on a little bit of the USS Excelsior, the Sulu commanded ship, and, and that sort of thing. But but that's still you know forty years ahead of this. We're 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 talking uh, 
an Excelsior ship that you could see the same type of ship, the same the same model year, the same uh, uh, kit, the same livery, all of that in a show like The Next Generation. So I want that that classic ship. And, and the Frontier itself has been in service for decades. They have she has gotten a little bit of a refit. Uh, she's got a little, you know, a little shield upgrades, weapon upgrades. They are going to the Klingon Empire after all. Uh, but a new coat of paint. Don't you just hate it when they just add all this new stuff? It's so sovereign class. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to do that lower no, decks joke. It's a great line. It's a great line. I love lower decks so much. It's such a great show. <laughs> but so so that's that's the thing. We spend so many years seeing Excelsior class ships. I just I want to live on one. I want to see what the experience. Yeah, that's, that's the experience of the majority of Starfleet as we see it. And I do want to point out this is not a refit Excelsior like the Enterprise B or the USS Lakota. This is classic Excelsior look. Uh, and so this is another thing about that. This ship has been in. Well, it's got that kind of that kind of uh, junk in its trunk. Yeah. Uh, I, the- I I I dig that. I I actually I really like the the original over the refit just because. It's a cool looking ship, but in some ways it's kind of doofy looking. It's not just that it's doofy. It's 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 a little too special. And yes. Thing, and the thing I want for this is for this. This isn't necessary. Like they're doing a special mission, but this is the heart of Starfleet going in here. And so and so this is another thing that I like that I like about my idea, which is why I wrote it down, I guess, which is, you know, whatever, <laughs> butchering my own commentary here. Uh, so this, the the frontier is a ship that has been in service in Starfleet for decades at this point. It's not a new ship, which which makes sense. The Excelsior class. I mean, it, it went from for almost 100 years. Yeah, uh, oh. absolutely. So. So her captain, Captain Danica Vasquez, she has been in command of the Frontier for several years already. This is something that we have not seen in Star Trek since the original series. Original series, Kirk is just there. We have no idea how long he's been there. We have no long idea how long he's going to be there. But when we talk about Next Generation, that's the 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 ship launching. We talk about Deep Space Nine. Yes. They're going to do this new Deep Space thing. Nine. Yeah. Voyager, they're going to to this. They've got a brand new ship. They've got a brand new crew. They're going to go out into the world. This is a mixture of an old crew and a new crew. So Captain Vasquez is going to ha- have been in command for, you know, however many years, seven years, 15 years. Haven't really figured that out yet. Uh, but she is she is especially geared for for this because of just some some past experiences. But I'm going to balance that with her first officer. Her first officer, Commander Christopher Drake. Uh, Chris Drake is new to the crew. For this mission, he has replaced the former first officer who has recently been given their own command of a ship. So if you remember like Star Trek Nemesis, how at the end Riker goes off to do uh, to, to go be com- captain of the USS Titan. And then right. this is, I guess this is a deleted scene when this happens. The new first officer comes in and it's this dude we've never seen before. I, I I mix up what's the way it seems in that movie and what's not. The only one that I know that is a deleted scene, I think, is the one with Wesley Crusher because I think he was they, they did it too late or something. The, no, Wesley is at the wedding of Riker and Troy, but the explanation for why he's at the wedding in a Starfleet uniform is cut out of the movie. OK, OK, that's what it was. But anyway, um, so but so 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 Chris is is he's new. And so is he is he human? He's human. Okay. Uh, I have a fair amount, fair amount of humans on my crew just because of the well, era. given, yeah, given the era, that makes more sense. 
and, and, and I felt like if you're talking about the the ease of tensions and the the peacemaking, like if you look at the the Klingon Empire back in the day as like a Soviet Union analog and and the Federation as a America analog and those two things warming, I felt like having a large bit of human crew would be important to that. Yeah, obviously not all of my crew is human, but uh, but but Chris is going to find himself kind of at odds with himself, you know, trying to prove himself to the existing crew. Uh, he's not the only new crew member uh, on this situation. There's kind of a mix of old and new for the sake of this mission. You know, some people obviously would not want to go into the Klingon Empire, and like to go and you know scan plants somewhere. But but uh, he he is stepping up. But he, there are going to be situations where he needs to feels he feels like I should say he needs to prove himself. So then we've got our our tactical officer, our our uh, our security chief, our weapons officer, uh, Lieutenant Commander Thalna Shen. Uh, Shen is an Andorian, which I love because we don't. I almost made my security officer an Andorian because <laughs> we we don't have many Andorians in Star Trek. They show up mostly in Star Trek Enterprise, and if Star Trek Enterprise had continued the main Andorian on that show, uh, Shran would have joined the crew of the enterprise, but Andorians are one of the three founding members of the Federation. They're a big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. But Shin has. That, that's, that's so funny. The only reason I didn't put an Andorian <laughs> in Maya is because we just had an Andorian main character uh, of sorts in discovery season three. And I was like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going I'm to leave the Andorians alone for a second. <laughs> that, I, I love, I love that touch though. So, so but this is another thing where I like the the balance of this because Shen has served under Captain Vasquez for a long time. Uh, I'm making putting a little twist on that is that prior to this this mission and prior to to Shen's assignment on the frontier years ago, he was involved in a number of armed conflicts with Klingons. So the Federation Starfleet Command, I should say, uh, recommended that Shen be transferred off of the frontier. Uh, because of these prior assignments and captain vasquez stood up for him she stood in said she trusted him said said that 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 he has a a very close tie to the andorian concept of honor because there is a huge part of andorian society that that features honor much like klingon honor and she thinks they're both warrior races aren't they is aren't the andorians yeah andorians are less warriors and more like they they'll do battle with each other with these weird ice knives. And I, I didn't like, mean warrior in the term of like they're always out, you know, fighting around the galaxy, but like they, yeah. they're they're known for being warriors. Yes, and and so she she fought to keep him in that position for the sake of 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 that kind of of you know. Well, this is someone who has a a their own version of honor. Let us introduce that kind of honorable uh, a stature to to this other group that is totally obsessed with honor and how that works. And, and, and that I think would be an interesting thing. The Klingon sense of honor versus the Andorian sense of honor and how that interacts with, with some of their, their interactions on the, uh, on, on the I, I mean, you could also, you could also, since, since you said that he's been in, in armed combat, you can obviously have a point in an episode where there's a heated moment where someone recognizes who he is from, from a battle and that causes immediate tension with whatever's going on in the episode. Right. I mean, there's a. I, I think I think this concept is is so much fun, and there's so much you can do with it. And this is what I love about Star Trek is we both had a desire to explore strange new worlds, 
we picked different timelines but i think that that's the core of what's so good about star trek is whatever time in this amazing expanded universe that we've created from gene roddenberry's initial show is there is always that that goal of of exploration of of seeking out new life of making the universe a more conducive and better place and i i i really dig this because i like you i'm a continuity nerd i love seeing stuff that's been referred to so many times in lore and so far right now i'm really (laughs) digging your crew it makes sense you got the two humans the andorians is that you said you had five crew members that you got got so far left that i uh, that i know of okay now so i did i did create a helmsman all right let's see let's let's hear it so we've got helmsman ensign amara cole amara is right out of the academy she is one of the newest faces on the ship she is brand new to the ship this is her first posting out of the academy and and like many of her classmates she petitioned starfleet uh, command for any position on any of the ships that were going into the the empire to to go into into this territory but one of the things that that earned her that position that got her the shot was that her older sister was lost on the enterprise C and she petitioned Starfleet command to, 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 I I don't want to use the term begged because I think that that's not like it. It's, it's got a bad connotation, but she, she pleaded with Starfleet command to let her be a part of the crew going out and being the change in the galaxy that her sister died for. Love it. <laughs> I think that is fantastic. And you can make such a phenomenal tearjerker of an episode out of that. Um, that again, th- these are concepts that I think that hit the core of what Star Trek is and represents. And I I love that. I, I think that is a, a good, good idea. So so it goes a little a little bit farther because I think that's interesting, but I also think it will be interesting when she finds herself maybe at odds with the mission. Like maybe this is not, you know, she finds herself in a position where are these really people we want to be allies with? Are these people we want to make peace with? But that's all that's all, you know, good TV. That's good TV. But yeah, I, I also think that she because of the size of Starfleet is not the only person that has a connection to someone who was lost on the sea. And that is where she is going to learn that there are other crewmen, there are other officers, there are other members of that crew, a small number, let's, I mean, you know, but, but that were also had some connection to members of the enterprise C crew, uh, maybe other siblings, maybe, maybe spouses, maybe cousins, you know, whatever. Well, and she, and I she, mean, the enterprise holds what 300 people they're about not sure of the c i mean the d is like a thousand the the c could be 200 to 300 people i, I don't know but you got you but but through six degrees of separation within the the human part of starfleet yeah you've got to have more than one connection branched out around with all those people especially with as many people who kind of get around and change shifts and change uh positions uh, yeah, there a hundred percent there'll be other people that have had been affected by this thing. And and, and my, my idea with, with part of her character arc is that she will reach out to some other members of the crew and they will form sort of a 
a collective, sort of a, a group with people who had connections to the sea specifically, and they'll sort of become a, a group to come together as, as they're all still, because it's only been a year, they're still grieving, they're still processing in a lot of these cases. Still raw. It's still a raw thing. And that can be part of part of that that process. And you could also deal with, you know, I mean, I like the idea that people are questioning, do we want to be allies with the Klingons? And I'm sure you will have some people who are kind of questioning, you know, is the story of the Enterprise C on the up and up? You know, did the Klingons destroy it? You know, there's there's because you we had that one guy in Lower Decks who was all <laughs> repeating, you know, uh, <laughs> Wolf 3, 5, conspiracy theory. <laughs> Wolf 359 was a scam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I mean, there are, I, I, with with the kind of cloak and dagger stuff of not knowing what goes on this entire quadrant, you could have some people who may hold some prejudices as and I think it's a good commentary as as people as great as we want to be and as much as we aspire to be better. Sometimes those baser fears do take over. That doesn't mean, you know, that they're prevalent, but that can that can exist. And I think an ex, uh, an episode exploring that could be extremely enlightening. I I I love that, especially when it, uh, when you compare it, because because Star Trek is always the good Star Trek is always morality stories, like mm-hmm. stories that compare what's going on at the time to what's going on. Or what's going on in the show to what's going on when you're watching it, and and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of healing that the world needs for some stuff, and and being able to Absolutely. come together and talk about that. Uh, well, and that that and that's the thing is seeing seeing these things play out and play out in the quote unquote you know best way possible is extremely important. Both you and I grew up watching Star Trek, and I think we both probably gleaned lessons from those those shows that we watch for you, you and i both it was mostly T- tos and tng and i think it's extremely important to continue to deliver messages like that and even learn from the messages that we may have gotten incorrectly the first time around yeah. um so, and you said you have one one more crewman yeah so this this is not necessarily a crewman because the, the frontier as they as they venture and their their first steps into the empire they're going to come across a a little a small small shuttle under attack by some goran raiders and they're going to try to intervene as they can you know, peacefully if, if if they must but but the shuttle is going to be destroyed however luckily they're able to save the sole occupant they beam up aboard right as his his shuttle is being destroyed this person is kavor kavor is a klingon traitor uh, who is T R A D E R, not traitor, traitor. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, someone who who you know can wheels and deals in this portion of the galaxy has a lot of connections and uh, basically what Neelix is. If Neelix, I was, was about like, to say kind of a Neelix quark combination there. If, if Neelix was a cool Klingon and not whatever Neelix is. Um, I know he's a Talaxi and that's the whole thing. I made the same joke earlier in the episode, but I, wrote, I was like, <laughs> I wrote the joke down. So, <laughs> but he, he's going to serve as, as kind of a, a, a part Guinan, part Neelix, part quirk 
He's going to have information local, you know, he's the source of information for a lot of these things are going to come to him. He's also, and I borrowed a lot of this characterization from uh, the, the Klingon restaurant on Deep Space Nine, that the dude who would walk around his restaurant with the little tiny Klingon accordion singing Klingon opera while he was serving food. And it was fantastic. <laughs> and I love that. And I want that guy on the ship. I want that to be because they need they need the inside source of information. They need the person who who knows a little bit what's what's going on. They also need the guy who may very well be a spy placed on the ship by Klingon intelligence to observe what's going on and report to the High Council and that the whole situation that got him on the ship at the first place was a was a facade. But uh, we'll see what happens with that. I love that. I mean, I also love that we, in our different ways, have people who are like familiar with the quadrant that they're exploring and kind of helping them out. I, I think that, I, I yeah, I, I, I like, I like everything that you that you've said. Um, so you said you you wanted uh, to talk about some crewmen. Yeah. So I've got I've got the captain. I've got the first officer. I've got the tactical officer. Got the helmsman. I don't have a chief engineer. I don't have a science officer. I don't have a chief medical officer. Now, I thought about chief engineers because, again, as I'm diving into the classics, I thought that that maybe having a Tellarite be the chief engineer. Tellarites are often engineers. They're also one of the founding members of the Federation and ones that we don't get to, to see that often. Um, would be an interesting... Yeah, I, I think, interesting I think there's one on Discovery, maybe? Uh, I don't know that there's a Tellarite on Discovery. There, Tellarites have shown up on Discovery, but I don't think they're parts of the crew. Um, no, no, I don't know if they're parts of the crew either. I think, but yeah, I, 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 but, I like the idea of having a Tellarites are also very difficult to get along with, and like I think that having a like Bones, Spock, Kirk trio would be fun, but. I think it would just be <laughs> a little too much. Um, again, I don't want to make everybody human, uh, but I do. I do like the. I, I like the classics, but like I feel like doing a little too many of the classics are kind of a problem. And like I, I like like if you look at Voyager, and Voyager had the half Federation, half Maquis thing going on. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for more half old crew that knows each other and has worked well for together for years versus brand new crew that is brand new to the ship as they're about to go on this very interesting compelling potentially dangerous journey and that's where i kind of want to balance these things out like do they bring in a new doctor who is who's more like a bashir that was was top of their their medical class and and wants to do things is there doctor vulcan because vulcans are, have terrible bedside manners i don't know this is where i this is where i don't know like i've th i've done a lot of thinking but you I know what land on I, something mean, that, I, I, I think I a vulcan doctor would be kind of fun it's a twist i mean because usually it's a science officer security officer with your spock or tuvok um i think i think a vulcan doctor might be the source of some comedy but also like I said, yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a good uh, flip on the on the classic, but it's also uh, situation. Is it, too, is it too close to the classics? And this is the thing that I worry about with with some of this stuff. Like I've got the Andorian, I've got the, I've got the. Because, I think because class have, show. I think We're because you have the Andorian show. on the main class. I mean, it's been a while since we've had a Vulcan on a main ship. Well, Voyager had Tuvok. 
again, it's been a while. And Michael Vernon was like half Vulcan on Discovery. Michael Michael Vernon's human. Um, <laughs> but 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 this is this and is... Spock appears. But uh, but in the Tuvok was I mean, and you had uh, what's her name in Enterprise? But I mean, oh. it's all, honestly it's almost been. I don't want to say a staple of the of the franchise, but usually having a Vulcan around there somewhere is is a standard. And, you know, they were, you know, early allies. So it it stands to reason. I'm tr- like, I'm trying to think this. You said this is what, 10 years before TNG? It's 10 years. It's it's well, TNG started in 2366 and this is 2345. Uh, so, so like 15 years. So 15 years. OK, so you've got no, I'm hmm. not doing that math right. That's the wrong math. What's 66 minus 44? That's 22. We're 21 years years before. (laughs) Um, So you've got you've got some time, but I mean, even even TNG, I mean, you 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 had Worf, but you didn't have a ton of non-humans on the Enterprise D that we that we saw. I'm sorry. I just thought of of an arc. I don't want this character to be on the ship full time. But I think this character doing a stint on the ship would be very interesting based on what this character was doing around the time that this happens. What prior known Star Trek character was doing stuff with the Klingon Empire as part of the Federation around this time? Curzon Dax. Curzon Dax arc. Oh, yeah. Why am I just now thinking of this? This is perfect. <laughs> I don't want her to be well, part of the crew. Would it still be, would it still be Curzon? Or? It would be Curzon, because Curzon, because okay. Jadzia doesn't transition until, or doesn't, because uh, this is, because this is the point in time when Curzon would have made friends with Benjamin Sisko. It would have been around this time. Like, we're a couple of years before Curzon, Kor, uh, uh, Kang, and, and Koloth go against the Albino for the first time. And go the whole thing that plays out uh, with Jadzia and Deep Space Nine. That this could be. Why did I not think about this before? I don't. Again, I don't want Curzon to dominate the show, which is why I don't want him on the show full time. I would love for them to need to escort him for a two or three episode arc, and that be a whole thing. But now I am. Mm, sometimes I surprise even myself. <laughs> uh, but, no, I mean, I, I, I definitely, I definitely think having Curzon on there is. I mean, I'm always, I've always been a fan of the Trill Parasite stuff. It's symbiote, please, not parasite. Symbiote. Parasite implies whatever. that tomato, tomato. Um, <laughs> so, so that that that's my crew. I, 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 I would love to f- to hear what what folks would think about uh, about more of this crew. I, I don't, you know, I would love to see some some other aliens in there. I'd love to see some other humans in there. I think there needs to be a fair balance because I think you can have too many of each. Uh, I, I do. I think you were right on the money with the Tellerite. I think having that character be kind of the Scotty who, like, because of their their blunt personality, like, is just more of that. The, that's, that's my problem with Tellerites is they're so... <laughs> They're, they're so extra when it comes to, to their Tellarightness. Every time they've been shown on screen, they have been gruff and annoying, and I don't know that I want but, but that think on of, my ship. But think of almost every <laughs> but think of almost every engineer character outside of like Jordy. Like you think of Scotty, you think of O'Brien, you think of like all these characters who are just like, ugh. What if you had a character that just like took that to the next level? 
I, 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 I gotta say, I'm kind of into the idea of, 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 of a Tellerite being on the ship. <laughs> and they'd be an engineer, probably, you know? Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> but again, that's another thing, because if, if, if the Tellerite engineer has worked for Captain Vasquez for a number of years, and all of a sudden there are all of these brand new engineering he, crew. Yeah, Vasquez might be the one person that the Tellerite, like, respects. And, and 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 the engineering crew is all like they, there could be a whole lower decks arc, not the show, but the episode like uh, where they're all kind of having to deal with this. And and of course, Shin and the Tellarite would come to come to, to harsh words because Tellarites and Andorians don't often get along. And OK, I'm selling myself on this. I'm selling myself on this. Mm, yeah, I'm trying to think of, of of what else you could could do. I mean, you could also just create. I mean, we don't we we've get we've been given a lot of aliens, but we don't know. We we definitely haven't seen every single alien that exists in the Alpha Quadrant. You could create your own. I'm half tempted to put Pulaski as the Doctor. <laughs> I would I would I would <laughs> so mad at you. Um, but Pulaski, yes, you, you Pulas- could, I'm a Pulaski stan. Pulaski is dope. I love Pulaski. I, I, I don't dislike Pulaski. <laughs> to be <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, but I think you could also create some aliens. I mean, like I said, while the Alpha Quadrant is mostly known to the Federation, we have not seen everything that the Alpha Quadrant has to offer. As, as you said earlier, when we were talking about Star Trek Echo, the Enterprise D had this whole thing where there's like dolphin people and stuff. We, we've never seen them we never saw it oh yeah, there there was a passing reference to mammal engineering or whatever it was on on lower decks which is also what reminds me that that was a thing but yeah so i i would Heck, love- you, you could have uh, luxana troy on there oh, it's just that's a step too far <laughs> mostly because i respect major barrett and in her passing, I would not want anybody else to. to uh, and that's that, that 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 that's a, that's a good point, and that's kind of how I was with um with with Nog. Uh, otherwise, he would have a hundred percent been involved in in the show. Um, but I no, I'm I'm honestly I'm so excited about the shows that we both came up with, and <laughs> I am too. I don't know why I'm so excited about them. It's not like they're getting made. I just no, I love but them. it just makes me happy to talk <laughs> about these kind. I mean, well, both of us, we don't we don't delve into the kind of fan fiction type of stuff very often. And while we might read apocryphal stuff like comics or books, it's, it's a whole other thing to be like, you know, okay, here, here are the keys to the kingdom. What would you make? And, and sometimes, you know, when we, we talk about Star Trek, we'll be like, Oh, I do this or this or this. But then I found myself like, because I was like, oh, I'm going to do something wild. I'm, I'm going to do like this whole series on the on the, the the Romulan War or the Temporal Wars, and and that'll be cool. And then the more I thought about it and talked to you about it, I'm like, ah, that's more of a miniseries movie. And I mean, that's like, I really like, just I, kind of. I had this long-standing theory for a TV or, or idea for a Star Trek TV show that was going to be Starfleet going into again the Beta Quadrant because that's where the Romulan Empire is post Romulan Supernova. And Picard, the Picard show covered a bit of that. Uh, yeah, it did. I mean, I wasn't consulted or anything, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's 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 one of those things where it's like that that is interesting, and I like that idea. But it's also like it's 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 ground that's been tread, you know. 
I have a question because I, I know I know where we we did kind of you know talk about our our concepts entirely. Did you have any any cast in mind? I didn't. I didn't. I did not think about that far. No. Um. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, that, that's that's fine. I was I was I was kind of just going to ask you like who who you pictured in your head when you when you when you made up uh, you know Danica Vasquez, um, or your Andorian if there if there was anyone you know, either from Trek or or you know completely separate. Not not um, really because I I like to I you know I, I, as a casting agent I like to cast unknowns for things like this so that uh, the the character can shine more than the performer. <laughs> <laughs> i mean there there is that but i mean i think what well, i know i do but uh i we both watch enough stuff where it's like there are enough unknowns out there to us that we could possibly be like oh yeah like i like, like for me uh, i would have cast uh sabrina carpenter as nomi wildman she was uh the best friend in girl meets world the sequel to boy meets world and i've seen her play serious stuff too and i think that she's about the right age She's actually a little bit younger than the character would be, but that's fine too. But she has such a range for being able to do some stuff that I would want to do that's a little comical for being too full of herself. And then some stuff where like, oh, she made a mistake and she has to deal with it. I've seen the emotional scope that that actress can deal with. Plus, she's kind of unknown. I know she's more focused on her singing career now, but that was who I had in mind for the, the I guess, the recast Naomi Wildman because I don't, think the actress who played her now would be i think she'd be too old to play she'd be too old to play 26 at this point probably uh voyager yeah, star trek voyager by the way i think it was today or yesterday it aired for the first time 21 years ago something crazy like that yeah and they usually cast older because i think the actress might have been like 10 or 12 so i mean she's still a relatively young person but uh, not quite where i would probably want naomi to be um, cause I kind of wanted her to be this, not a whiz in that she's like, you know, too smart for her or, or like, you know, she's not like a savant, like she's not going to be like the, the, the genius in the room, but because of her experience and her tutelage from seven, she had, she has a little bit of an upper hand when she comes into Starfleet. So she just flies through her courses, but she also has a reputation for being a little bit of, um, not a fly boy, but she does have that kind of uh, flies by the seat of her pants. Mm. And and so th- that's why I almost had the character of uh, Tyler Burris being a little bit resentful. But I, I just didn't want that to be a a dichotomy in Star Trek. Th- this- Tyler Burris would never be resentful. He would be respectful, just <laughs> uh, just the pinnacle of what you want a Starfleet officer and a first officer to be. Honestly, Captain who would Material, you? but they're, they're, they're willing. Who, 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 I'll, I'll leave it to you. Who would you have playing Tyler Burris? <laughs> you know, I think I think it would be like a, a, a uh, you know how in uh, in in Full House, the character of Michelle was played by both Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. I think that it would just be me and Tyler just swapping oh in and out of the role. And, you know, we look we look similar enough. I mean. Tyler might have to, to duck not a even a little bit, bit. <laughs> not even a little bit. If you would like to um, see, if you would like to see what Tyler looks like, you can tune in to twitch.tv slash cosmic crit 
most Thursdays to watch us stream Final Fantasy VII, uh, the classic, as as uh, and uh, of course archives of that on YouTube and all of that. Uh, Tyler and I look very little alike. I just thought that'd be a funny. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and I'm gonna say it. I think I, I think also it's because uh, when we did the Power Rangers one, uh, you you laid it on me as we we did it and i didn't have a week to, to talk about it uh but i i definitely had uh, so much fun doing this this star trek i don't even want to say challenge this extra with you this yeah. was a this was a fun creative exercise and i i think in terms of maybe future deep dives maybe not maybe not our next forever night break but I, I would love to do more stuff like this. Yeah, we we had we have another idea for our next Forever Night break uh, that that I'm I'm tentatively excited about, but we'll see how that turns out. But you got a few more weeks to wait before we get into that. I hope you guys had as much fun as this as I did because I've been smiling this entire episode. This is love, this has been such such a blast. I love Star Trek. I I absolutely love it. I would. CBS, I know you're listening because you subscribe to our show. Uh, and uh, you know, Miles and I are available. I know you guys have have all that CBS all access money, that Star Trek money coming in, and uh, uh, some of it's mine. So I would love it's, to seem to be Paramount Plus. <laughs> uh, so I, I I've paid some money for Star Trek. Why don't you why don't you uh, take a look? You know, see see what we got. Uh, anyway, I'm just kidding because this is fun. This is just good fun. Yeah, uh, so if people have opinions about our Star Trek shows or uh, Addendum's editions, ideas they, they like to play around with, where can they send that to us? You can find us at facebook.com slash themoreyounerd, uh, Twitter at themoreyounerd, and you can email us themoreyounerd at gmail.com. That's themoreyounerd at gmail.com. Of course, next at- week we will be returning to our forever night uh, uh, streamathon. Uh, every single episode of season one of Forever Night, I believe we're up to episode ten through. 13? Yeah, we're doing ten through twelve, or two, thir- ten 13. through four, 13. 10 thirteen. Ten through thirteen. Four episodes: ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, uh, and we will be covering those next week. So until next time, we're going to end this show like we always do with a rousing. Nerd. Nerd.